Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. We welcome our listeners to a new season of the podcast Sustainability Unwrapped. By the microphone is Anna from Hankin School of Economics. And our key theme for this podcast season is responsible organizing. And of course, we will discuss how responsible organizing can support building a more sustainable future. In each episode, we invite experts to discuss topics such as intersectional inequalities, cross-collaboration for responsibility, and other topics like that. Today, we will discuss ontological multiplicity. Uh, the challenges of modern ontology and practical examples of how ontology affects what is considered responsible and sustainable by different actors involved. To navigate through this difficult topic and help us illustrate this with real-life examples, we invite Maria Enström Fuentes to our Hanken studio. Hi, Maria. Nice to have you here with us. If I may start with a rather personal question right away, I hope that's okay. Why do you personally find this area about the ontological multiplicity interesting for you? What is your journey in relation to research on this topic? Uh, originally, I started doing research on uh, corporate social responsibility in communities that are affected by uh, forestry operations in South America. And I wanted to find ways of how CSR could uh, eliminate the kind of conflicts that I had witnessed always appearing when new pulp mills came into new local communities. Uh, That question became quite irrelevant for me quite quickly when I got to know local communities in South America. Uh, and I realized that these conflicts uh, serve a purpose, and they serve a purpose of defending worlds that are threatened of going extinct. Uh, that's like the expression, uh, the expression of of worlds going extinct. We will get mm-hmm. into this, I'm sure, soon. Are these conflicts, visible conflicts between global, not just forestry companies, but any kind of global corporation <laughs> activity? coming in and, and threatening the way of life, local life. Mm-hmm. And, and that is how I started to then think of the world through, through very grassroots and local perspectives. I see. Very interesting. And indeed, as you said, we will get back later to that in our discussion. But uh, Maria, for our listeners who might be uh, not familiar with the concept of ontology and more than that, the multiplicable ontology. Uh, could you please explain what ontology means? Uh, so, in the way that I approach the question of ontology, I follow the work of Mario Blaser, who is an anthropologist or geographer, I think, originally, that have worked on the concept of political ontology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very specific definition that I speak of when I speak of ontology. It's not, it's not maybe, sometimes it's interpreted as culture, and sometimes it's interpreted as a as a way of doing politics within a certain field, like a philosophy almost. But in this field uh, that deals with, well, often natural resource extraction and local communities, 
what we are talking about are different ways of worlding, different ways of being in the world, of relating to nature. So ontological multiplicity, uh, that's where we also have to deal with the modern ontology, because without Without that, we will not understand it. So, basically, what I already tried to explain is that we have multiple ways of being in the world, of relating to 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 nature, to the non-humans, and and that comes from the stories that we tell each other about who we are, why are we here, what are we doing, what is the purpose of life, almost. And the modern ontology has created a quite universal way of relating which has made us assume that there is only one world, that, or if it's not only one world, that we are on the path towards only living in one world. We are erasing the traditional ways of relating to nature. We are erasing uh, ancient knowledges by applying multi, um, modern sciences uh, to understand the world. And the modern sciences separate. So this is like, I, I will again go through three different things that is creating this universal understanding of just one world. So the first is this separation, which comes with modernity by itself. Uh, humans and natures are, nature are assumed to be separate. So we're talking about cultures and human organizations that are separate from the environment, from nature, from, well, non-humans, and that we only uh, relate to those as objects or something that we can extract as natural resources. And that creates problems in the encounters with, with the environment, with the nature. It creates, actually, the conflicts that I was mentioning mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah. Uh, the second one that comes with modern ontology, and w which makes us think that we only live in one world, is this idea that time is linear. If we think of of the uh, like, and that it is progressing towards an ideal world somewhere, unified ideal world, we are all going on the same path. So, if you think of, for example, how we speak of the industrial world as something that Everybody is now immersed in or globalization, that there is no way of un uh, avoiding it, that we're all part of this globalized community. Often what is forgotten there that the way that it has been implemented through time, this uh, linear history of time, is through very violent practices towards other ways of being. It's been slavery, it's been the occupying of territories, it's been genocide in order to access natural resources to make that world possible. And that is never talked about when we talk about the linear development of time. What we now see with all these conflicts, again going back to local conflicts that emerge, is that local communities or, or indigenous communities in particular are rebelling against having to become part of this linear uh, idea of time. They have a different time conception that is very circular, uh, going with seasonal flows, but also a time conception that goes way back than what the modern history manages to portray. Modern history often starts with agriculture in, in the Middle East or even with the biblical terms. It is a progression of time and it's always about 
progressing towards something better. But what the indigenous stories tell us is that there are parallel stories of time that are pointing in different directions toward the future. And the final point about why modern ontology manages to erase the multiplicity of all that these other worlds that are pointing us in different directions towards the future is that the modern ontology has managed to become superior to the others. It manages to erase other ways of being and relating other stories. It manages to portray them as perspectives, cultural perspectives or beliefs that do not really portray the real reality of things. So in conversations with indigenous groups, or if we have, um, for example, environmental impact assessments for new big uh, projects going to occupy large pieces of land or territory, in those discussions with indigenous groups, with local groups, fishermen, uh, farmers, whoever who have a direct relation to the land that is being threatened, the way that the modern ontology works, using the linear time frame and using modern sciences, it manages to portray a reality that is more real through modern sciences than the reality experienced on the ground. And that is what creates exclusions, marginalizations, and silences of other worlds. That is what creates the, uh, as, uh, the assumption that we live in only one world, or if we're not yet there, it's inevitable that we're going there. And I think this is such a dangerous assumption in a way. And I also can't imagine how difficult it is to challenge yourself uh, in the ways you relate to the world and how you see the world, uh, especially when the, some people may be living in a close, like, a bubble shaped by this superior modern ontology that they are holding up to. So it, it is a dangerous assumption in a way, but I also understand that it's not an easy thing to get rid of and kind of see perspectives of other people in that sense. Maybe I could still add, it's equally dangerous to idealize the other side, the local side, as something that is, is uh, the ideal notion of things. Mm -hmm which is not what I'm saying. Uh, it's, we, we, have to, we have to be able to, to see that the multiplicity of realities mm -hmm. and not idealizing any one over the other. Okay, now I, I seem yeah. to get it. But maybe I will ask you to tell us some of the stories that you learned throughout your studies. I know from the book chapter that you've been uh, studying about Sami people and also uh, Mapuche territories in Chile, if I say it in the right way. Yes. <laughs> but specifically, the, you, you want me to... So I've written this book chapter together with Tina Yaskin. Mm -hmm. Tina has been uh, working a lot on the Sami homelands. Yes. And the different... Um, extractive uh, projects that are aiming to occupy territories mm -hmm. in, in Sami homelands. And so she has maybe would have more concrete uh, uh, examples from there. Mm -hmm. And I have then more been working with farmer communities and Mapuche indigenous communities, fishermen communities in, in, in Chile mm -hmm. and farmer communities in Uruguay. Okay. 
so, so my concrete examples are from, from those places. Okay, but then let's get into discussing that. What have we particularly learned from the ontological conflict in there? So what I've studied most specifically